Well, two weeks ago, I had preached a message in the church called Jesus, the Darling of Justification. That message has still been cooking in my heart, not because I preached the thing, but I believe it was from God. I wish I, I was thinking about this uh, last night. I wish I could stand on the tallest mountain in the world, which is Mount Everest. And I wish I had the biggest megaphone in the world and I could tell every pastor and teacher and prophet and evangelist and, and uh, who did I leave out? Uh, prophet, teacher, apostle. <laughs> I wish I could just shout that to all of them. Preach righteousness. Preach justification. Preach grace. I'm going to tell you something. It would change the whole climate of the whole world. And you know what? I thought, God... I believe that there's going to come a day that God's going to give Triumphant Grace Ministries a voice that big. I really do. I don't think that's arrogance. I really do because you can't hide a message like his love and his righteousness and justification and grace and the goodness of the Lord. You can't hide it very long. We'll outgrow this little place. You watch and see. The beauty of it all is I believe that the faces I'm looking at today will take with us to where we go. I really do believe that. I believe God has called you to this ministry and God will be faithful to, to kind of raise us all up together. Well, I preached that message, Jesus, the Darling of Justification, and you may have saw the title on the, the board this morning, Justification, the Firing Pin Under Righteousness. I'll explain that as we get deeper into the Word. It was the title that the Lord gave me this week. But I believe there's this domino effect that takes place. When we think about this word justification, it's so misunderstood and so misappreciated. But there's this domino effect that takes place when when you really begin to get this word of justification down. Remember, I've talked about justification is the legal process. There had to be a legal process for what we did. We committed high treason against God. All of us did. Adam did, right out of the chute. There had to be this judicial process that had to take place. It's kind of like, uh, I think, about uh, the adoption, adopting children. You don't just go and take children and... <laughs> Call them yours. You've got to go through an adoption. Don't you say you've got to go through an adoption process. You go through this adoption process and you not only say, hey, you're going to live in my family now, but you're also going to take on my name. So there's this adoption uh, process, this legal process, if you will, that takes place. And really that's what justification is all about. There was a time that we were all kidnapped, believe it or not. We got kidnapped. <laughs> Adam and Eve got kidnapped. And they got translated into kind of another kingdom. We all got kidnapped. And Jesus couldn't just come and say, I'm going to take them back because that'd be kidnapping back. You know, there had to be this process that Jesus, and of course we know what that process is. It was the cross. It was the shedding of his innocent blood to purchase us back. But as I got to thinking about that yesterday, Jesus didn't give, in other words, there had to be a ransom that had to be paid. But the ransom wasn't paid to the devil. <laughs> You know, Jesus didn't say, how much, do, how much exactly do I owe you for all my kids? He didn't pay it to the devil. He paid it to his daddy. You see, because who we had committed the sin against was God. And so there had to be a payment. It had to be satisfied in the heart of God. So his payment was unto his father. So what happens, this is the way I felt the Lord paint this picture in my mind. When we understand what this justification is, it's like a domino that falls into righteousness. So it starts this chain reaction. And of course, righteousness is right standing with God. You hear the word right in righteousness. It just literally means right standing with God. So as I'm justified, justification takes place. It falls into righteousness and then righteousness falls into identity. 
I think that we're going through a, a time in this world where we have a major identity crisis. People just don't know who they are. Uh, there's so much fatherlessness out there. Uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's just, an, it breaks my heart when I think about it. And I was talking with a gentleman the other day at work. He said, what do you think the biggest problem, one of the biggest problems in our country is? I said, it's fatherlessness. People grow up, they don't have an identity. They don't know who to turn to. So they turn to people on the street, the gangbangers and everything else. This wasn't really part of my message, but I'm, I'm passionate about this. And so when we rise up and we teach men to be fathers, love your children, love your family, love them, love them, love them, love them. I'll tell you what. You're going to raise up a generation, I've said before, that will change the absolute culture and the climate of this culture. So justification, when you understand that there's been this legal process paid by Jesus, it fell into the domino of righteousness, which fell into our right standing or our identity. And what happens when you understand this identity thing here is it gets the condemnation off of you. It kind of falls into the domino that's standing there saying no condemnation. I love that one. So it sets that one in motion, no condemnation. Again, one of the greatest tools the enemy uses is condemnation on the people of God. When condemnation lifts off of you, I want you to know something. What will be left is the glory and the grace of God shining. We just sang about the glory. We turned our eyes on Jesus, didn't we? And that <laughs> glory and grace came forth. When condemnation is not resting upon the people of God, all you've got is glory and grace coming through you. It comes through all the parts of you. And you know what happens then? That literally falls into the domino of the whole world getting saved. When I say the whole world, I'm not necessarily talking about every single person, but I'm talking about people that would have never been saved had they not seen the glory and the grace of God. Now, we're a little over seven months old in this ministry. You've heard our story probably a little bit. We came from a mega ministry in Rockford, Illinois called Faith Center Ministries. What a powerful ministry that is. I mean, from the worship, I mean, the word, the warfare, the prayer. I mean, it's a powerful ministry. We sat under Apostle Lion for these last 10 years. But as you've heard our story before, for the first five years, we rested. Not because we were lazy. Listen, I'm not lazy when it comes to kingdom things. I'm on call 24-7. You know what I mean? We rested for the first five years only because we had a directive from the Lord to say, you take time off ministry right now and you minister to your family. You raise up those children. You raise up those children so they don't have an identity crisis when they get older. And I'm so thankful, I've said this before, I'm thankful that we listened to God, me in particular, because it was hard for me to lay down my hands on, on ministry as I knew it. But I, I'm, I'm thankful that we did. Well, in the last five years prior to leaving Faith Center, I began to serve at a place called Life Center. You hear me talk about Life Center all the time. I am passionate about Life Center. And you know, I was talking to Pastor Felix, my African pastor uh, from that uh, Faith Center last night on the phone. He had called me. And um, he said, I said, Pastor Felix, I said, I realize now, I didn't realize it then, but I said, I realize now that Life Center was the training ground for where I'm at today. I ministered like crazy up and down those hallways. I, I saw people come to Jesus in the hallway. I saw people come to Jesus in the prayer room. I saw people come to Jesus in the parking lot and just in all places. I, I've even ministered in the bathrooms, I'll be honest with you. I have. I still do. That doesn't bother me to minister in the bathroom. You don't even want to know what some of the things I say in the bathroom. Anyway, God is so good. But I remember one time, I, I sat a man down. I said, can I pray for you? And I took him into the prayer room. The prayer room was bigger than this room right here. It was a large room that we could bring multiple people in there and minister to them. 
And I sat a man down, and I began to minister to him, and I began to hear a little bit of his story. You know, I'm going to tell you what, if you want to be a good minister, you want to, you want to be a, a good ambassador for Christ, listen to people. I always think about when it comes to sales. Salespeople are not the best talkers, they're the best listeners. Just listen to people, they'll tell you what they, what's on their heart. <laughs> and so as I began to listen to him, you know what? Uh, I began to get the message of grace about five years ago. And so I began to say, okay, if, if there's no condemnation upon me, there's no point in putting it up on anybody else. Now, early in my ministry, I, I would try to shame me almost into the kingdom. I mean, I, I had the right heart, I think. I just had the wrong message. But I'd almost kind of beat you up and, and then say, you, you want Jesus to rescue you? <laughs> I mean, it's just the way I, it's not the way I approach it now. It's the goodness of the Lord that leads people to repent. And so I sat that man down and I sat right across from him. We just looked at each other in the eyes and I began to listen to him and just began to love him and not judge him, not condemn him. And that man looked at me and here's what he said. He said to me, he said, you have the kindest eyes. I've never been told that before, never been told that since. When I go and look in the mirror, I don't go in the mirror and go, Mark, you got the kindest looking eyes. No, but I thought, Lord, what, as the Lord brought that back to me this week, I'm like, what do you mean the kindest eyes? Well, when there's no judgment coming out of you, there's no condemnation coming out of you. It's only grace and glory coming out of you. There's a, you take on a personification of Jesus himself, and it's the Jesus that's flowing out of you. Had another gentleman that, at Life Center. Uh, he told me, he said, boy, I sure like, you know, he would always tell me, I sure like the word this morning. I sure like that devotion this morning. I want to try to get my brother here, but my brother's not going to come here. My brother doesn't want anything to do with this place. My brother doesn't want. I said, okay, get him here someday. And it was a few months later, and lo and behold, I, I came to Life Center one Saturday morning, and he came up and got me. He said, my brother's here. Your brother's here? Yeah, my brother's here. He, he went and introduced me to his brother. I am not kidding you. His brother looked like Jesse Ventura. I mean, right down to the mustache and big, bulky guy, you know. And he was a kind of an intimidating-looking guy. This is your brother? Yeah. And so, a little bit later that morning, I got moved by the Holy Spirit to go and minister to brother. <laughs> so I went and got his, his brother, and I just said, I don't remember, something like, hey, can I, can I visit with you just a minute? And we stepped in the prayer room. We sat down across from each other. Right out of the chute, he says, now listen. Let's get one thing straight. I am not making any decisions to do anything today. You got that? I mean, he was trying to intimidate me. Not asking to make any decisions. I just want to tell you about my Savior. I want to tell you about my Jesus, who I love. And he listened. And I began to tell him I wasn't judging him. I didn't know anything about him. Just, just giving him pure love and grace and goodness of the Lord. And then... Um, about 20 minutes into that, he says, you don't know what I've done. I said, what have you done? He said, I just got out of prison a while back. Okay. He said, I killed a man. I was in prison for about 10 years. He said, God ain't going to forgive me. I killed a man. I said, I killed a man too. Oh, you guys are thinking, what? I said, the Bible says anybody who hates his brother is guilty of murder. God forgave me, didn't he? Yes, he forgave you, I guess. You know what? About eight, ten minutes later, I took that big Jesse Ventura man <laughs> by the hands as he wept uh, and wept and wept and led him to Jesus Christ. I'm telling you something. Listen, this is not about me. This is about the grace and the glory. This was about the grace and the glory coming out of you. When you walk in that spirit of, I'm not here to judge you. 
I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to tell you that I was at the same level that you were at at one time, and Jesus lifted me up. That's a powerful thought. So as we, we think about this message of justification, how it, it, it runs right into righteousness, and righteousness gives us our identity, and identity gets the condemnation off of us, and not having any condemnation allows the grace and the glory of God to flow through so that many people will be one to Jesus. Do you see how that works? It's so simple, isn't it? Just don't judge. Just let the grace and the glory. So, why is the revelation of justification so essential at this hour? That's one of the questions I asked. I had to ask myself that question. Let's look at what a couple of scriptures say about being justified. Acts chapter 13. I'm going to move very quickly through these. Acts chapter 13, verse 39. And by him, all that believe are justified from all things. Now, when I looked up that word things, it literally means from whatsoever to whosoever. So that really covers it all, doesn't it? All things. Justified from all things, to, from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Very, very clear. You cannot be judged or, or uh, justified through the law of Moses. In other words, through just being a good person. Romans chapter 3, verse 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Romans chapter 3, verse 28. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. It just keeps saying the same thing. You know, what my wife and I say, we say about when we come here to minister, we say, you know what? What we're really doing is we're telling you the same message every single week. We just package it a different way. But we're giving you the same message every single time we come. Galatians chapter 3, verse 11. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. It is evident. For the just shall live by faith. Just shall live by faith. Roman, or Galatians chapter 3, verse 24. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. You know, I said two weeks ago we're justified by faith. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. We're justified by His blood. Romans chapter 5, verse 9. We're justified by grace. Romans chapter 3, verse 24, and we're justified by his name. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. We're justified by Jesus Christ. Everything keeps pointing back to the lovely one. Everything keeps pointing back to Jesus. Now, I used Romans chapter 5, verse 1 and 2 last time, and that's my text again today. I thought I would move a little quicker through Romans 5, but it just ain't happening. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God. That's important. It says we have peace with God. You notice it doesn't say we have peace from God. Yes, we do get peace. It's one of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, meekness, faithfulness, self-control. But it says we have peace from God. It's like if I took somebody out to eat. Um, I could say I'm having a meal with you, but if I didn't cook the food, it's not a meal from me, right? It's, it's a meal with you. We have peace with God. That peace starts in heaven and comes to us. That's how it works. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. In other words, this is the result of you having this peace. Justification and righteousness. As I thought about them the other day, I thought, man, those are really the twin towers of grace. Those are towers that will never fall. They are the twin towers of God's goodness and grace that we've been justified. 
Justification has run its course. We've been made righteous. We've been declared righteous. We have peace with God. And I thought about this peace, and I know this peace is so much larger than an emotion. God's wrath has been satisfied because He has smelled that sweet aroma coming off of Jesus. He has smelled that sweet fragrance coming off of our Savior, and He said, listen, that is justification. That is payment right there. I've smelled that sweet aroma. You know what it does, what this peace does? It ends this cold war. You see, our our spirits were incompatible at one time with God. He was kind (laughs) of wanting one thing, we were wanting something different. They, They were like polar opposites. The fight is over. God is, you know, I don't know why people think God's always wanting to pick a fight with you. God is not wanting to pick a fight with you. And you know what? He's not going to let you fight with him. He's just not going to respond to that. I have a friend that uh, I hired when I was uh, in Freeport, Illinois years ago. Uh, He is is still my best friend to this day. I mean, uh, my best male friend. In uh, 19, I hired him in 1990. And in 1991, he went out to Boulder, Colorado to a Promise Keepers convention and there he gave his heart to Jesus. And when Richard came back, I knew Richard was different. I mean, he was a good guy before that. I knew Richard was different. <laughs> and he was always talking to me about Jesus. It would be four years later before I would give my heart to the Lord. But he was always talking about the Lord, you know, and the Lord Jesus, that we would sit and have lunch together and work together. Richard, one of the things I loved about Richard, and one of the reasons I, I hired him now, again, I was, this was before I knew the Lord. Richard was a multi-degree black belt in karate. And, uh, and the, the job I was hiring him for was a collector. He was an account manager. He was the repo man. And so you need somebody that's not intimidated easily. I did it for years and years and years. And uh, so that was one of the reasons I, I hired him, but I liked other things about him as well. Well, in fact, he, he, he's actually so good. He had actually trained, everybody's heard of Bruce Lee. He actually trained under one of Bruce Lee's protégés, Mike, uh, Mike Sanders. So he really knows his stuff. But you know what? In all these years, Richard's older than I am, he has never had to use it on one person. That's the art of fighting without fighting. But one time, this was before he knew Jesus, he was in a tavern having a drink, and this guy decided he wanted to pick a fight with him. You don't, you don't want to do that wanted to pick a fight with my friend, and he, and, he, and he called him outside. And so Richard thought, well, I don't want to tear up this place in case he's serious. I don't want to get arrested, so let's step outside the parking lot. He said, when I stepped out the door, Mark, he said, I saw this big patch of ice. And he said, I went over and stood right in the middle of it. He said, that guy comes swinging at me, and down he went as hard as he could on the concrete. Oh, man, he said, I could just feel a thud when he went down. He laid there for a second, got up, and took another swing at me, and slipped, and down he went again. And all my friends just kept doing is moving out of the way, moving out of the way. Finally, after this happened four or five times, the guy got up, exhausted. He said, why are we fighting? Why don't we just go back inside and have a drink? And they walked back in, hand in hand, arm in arm, buddy upon buddy, and said, listen, this is just crazy. I'm going to tell you something. When we try to pick a fight with God, God just steps out of the way. He, just, he said, listen, the only one that's going to really get hurt here is you. You're not going to hurt me by trying to pick a fight with me. And I am not going to respond to your craziness. I, I, I don't know. Has anybody ever tried to pick a fight with God in here? Oh, they have? Okay. When, when I first married my wife, now this was a lot of years ago. Yes, we were both saved. We didn't quite have the message of grace, of course. And... Uh, 
one night, I don't remember what it was about, there was something that was either said or done, it hurt my feelings, and you know, I'm the kind of guy, I can get quiet sometimes. If I don't want to hurt your feelings back, I can get quiet. And so we went to bed that night, and it was quiet. It was quiet, very quiet. And my wife said to me, what's wrong? Oh, nothing. Why do we do that? We just, we just lie like through our teeth, don't we? Nothing's wrong. Oh, no, Mark, I know you. What's wrong? Um, n- listen, it's just with me. I- I'll work it out. No, what's wrong? Nothing, really. It's okay. <laughs> and then she went silent. We were, there was silence for an eternity. You know, it was like three minutes or four or five minutes. But it seemed like an eternity. It was a long time. And then finally she says, okay, I'm mad at you now. I'm like, you're mad at me now. You can't be mad at me. Yep, I'm mad at you. I'm like, why are you mad at me? Because you're mad at me. I'm not really mad at you. Yes, you are. And then just, there was this exchange. I said, okay, we got to work this thing out. You know what? I'm so thrilled that God's ways, he says, are not your ways. My ways and my thoughts are so much higher and so much greater, even when we're mad at God. You know, I'm very, very thankful. I don't remember a time I've ever been mad at God. I don't know. I mean, maybe that's just a gift. I, I have no idea. I always have realized there's something that I don't understand. There, there's something on my part. God is perfect. God is holy. God is loving. God is kind. So I'm not mad at God. <laughs> and, and if you are, it's okay. No big deal. He'll just let you swing around on ice and fall down a few times. But the wonderful thing is, is we're swinging at God. The Bible says in, in Proverbs chapter 24, verse 16, it says, Yea, though a just man, in other words, a righteous man, falleth seven times, he will rise again. That's the good news. God is just saying, listen, you know, it's not like, you're not like a cat with nine lives. You will rise again. That word seven literally means an inexhaustible number of times is what it refers to. We have peace with God. And here's what this peace literally means. It it refers to a quietness, a rest. It literally means to be set at one with him. We've been set at one with God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5:17, we hear this quoted all the time. It says, "Therefore, if any man be in Christ, where is it at? In Christ. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new." We're in Christ. Now, Colossians chapter 1 verse 27, "To whom God would make known What is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory? It's not just us in Christ, but it's Christ in us. Good news. But I love, this is one of my favorite scriptures, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. And that word peace literally means to join. It means to join or to be set at one again. I'm telling you, justified. It comes from that Greek word, dekeiao. It is a verb. In other words, we have been justified by faith. It's a verb. If I take you back to English 101, a verb is a word that expresses an action or a state of being. We have been justified by faith. In Luke chapter 7, beginning at verse 36, here's what it says. And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, 
she brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him, weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee, and he saith, Master, say on. (laughs) I'm just saying. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered into your house, and you gave me no water for my feet. But she hath, not, she hath washed my feet with tears, and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil you did not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. Now watch what he says. I love these next four words. For she loved much. For she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. And they, sat, they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? And he saith to the woman, Thy faith save thee, go in peace. You're always going to see this relationship of being justified and peace and faith working together. He says to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Romans chapter 5 verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. You know, when I looked at those, uh, those words, for she loved much. You know, I was at work and I was standing at my desk this week and I was kind of typing away and sometimes I'll just stop for a second because I'll just meditate on the goodness of the Lord. And I thought to the Lord, I said, Lord, how can I love you more? Because I know it's impossible for you to love me more. You love me as much as you're ever going to love me. You love me as much as you love Jesus. You love me, but how can I love you more? And so as I think about this message that we, we speak everywhere we go, this message about God's love and His grace, I think, God, how can I love you more? And uh, I always want to make clear, and this is the way the Lord dropped it in my heart, the, the message of grace is not a license to lasciviousness. The message of grace is a liberty to love. That's exactly what he dropped in my heart yesterday. It's not a license to lasciviousness. It's not a license to sin. I'm never propagating go out and sin up to your eyeballs. You see, that in itself, I'll, I'll tell you, that's what keeps us from loving him all the more. And I felt the Lord say t- to me, you cannot love, you cannot be in love with that which you dishonor and which you disrespect. You cannot love. Eventually you'll end up either hating that or you'll despise it or you'll grow cold. The, the way to love God more is not going out doing stuff. But there is, when God talks about being obedient, we are to be obedient because what obedience does, it releases that love to him. And so that as I 
and I've done something that may be very, very challenging for me to do. It's stretching me. You know, I feel like I'm in the shark tank at times. I'm just being stretched and stretched. But you know, when I walk away and then I watch the fruit of that obedience manifest in someone else's life or even my own life, I think, wow, God, I love you so much. You're so awesome. I want you to grab a hold of that awesome truth, that that's how we come to love him more. Because you look at certain people's lives and you think, man, that woman or that guy, he just really loves God. Why don't I love God like that? How come, is something wrong with me? No, you're just as saved as he is or she is. We're all saved by the same God, the same grace, the same goodness. We're all saved the same way. We're all 100% perfect in Christ, of course. But we don't all love us the same. And it just simply, do what God tells you to do. Love on Him, honor Him, respect Him. Even when it's tough, I want to tell you something. It will be awesome. Gratitude, you know, I, I think sometimes I, I do what I do for the Lord because I'm so grateful. I've got so much gratitude working in my heart. So it's that coupled with obedience and just listening, spending time with the Lord Jesus. I know all that works together. The breaking of the alabaster box and the pouring of its contents, that's the expressed actions. Breaking the box, pouring it out. That's like what I'm talking about. That's, that's the verb, pouring and breaking. Those are verbs. And that means literally if we think about being justified, the verb tense of justification. Justification is a noun. It's a state of being. The breaking of the box and the pouring of it is less important than to what was in the box. There was a perfume in that box. There was an ointment. There was an aroma. That's what changed the atmosphere of the room. That's what changed the atmosphere. And as we, we think about, we have Jesus's nature. We have that aroma on the inside of us. We have his nature and his love and his mercy and his compassion working through us. I want to tell you, that begins to change everything. See, the alabaster box held the costly perfume. We sing that song as she anointed him that day and the fragrance filled the room. She washed his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Oh, I know how Mary felt as she was kneeling there at his feet. <laughs> what a song. Justification delivered that priceless righteousness. It was the forerunner to righteousness. We had to be justified first. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, watch this, as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. He gave himself up for us. Get that in your heart. Us. U.S. <laughs> he gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering so that we could thereby declare the, this verse found in 2 Corinthians 2.15, for we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ. Really? I'm the pleasing aroma to, of God like Christ is? Yes, it's, it's in the Word. He says, not only among the brothers and sisters at church, <laughs> but the, the, the other guys out in the world, because it says right there, among those who are being saved and of those who are perishing. You know, when you really have blown it, when you feel like you've crossed the line, when you feel like you've gotten way out there on the limb, God says, you know what? You are the aroma of Christ. You are a pleasing aroma of Christ. He never sees you any other way than the pleasing aroma of Christ. Justification, the firing pin under righteousness. I hope I can explain this the way 
I feel it inside of me. I want you to think, uh, when you think about justification, the fire and pin under righteousness. Guns, I want you to think about a gun for a moment. Bullets don't just fly out of guns, do they? Thank God. <laughs> Can you imagine? You wouldn't want to even be around a police officer if that was the case. They just don't start shooting over. There's a trigger behind the bullet, right? There's a trigger. But when a bullet is set forth, it comes forth with power. It comes forth with force. It comes forth with authority. And it has a destination in mind. When God saved us, he said, listen, I'm putting my spirit in you, and you are going to come forth with power. You're going to come forth with love, you're going to, which is the greatest force. That is the greatest force. You're going to come forth with authority, and you are going to have a destination in mind. In Jeremiah chapter 29, 11, he says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a hope and a future. In other words, God's saying, I'm going to aim you at something in life. And as I said before, probably the reason we've got the biggest identity crisis in this world is fathers are not taking the responsibility to aim their children at something. You know, the Bible says as arrows are in the mighty hand of a warrior, so are children born in his youth. I'm going to tell you something. It, it makes that comparison because it, it's saying, listen, fathers, aim your children at something in life. And I'm not talking just about anything. I'm talking about aim them have them look to Jesus, have them look to his glory and his grace and his righteousness and his justification and all his love. Aim them at something in life. So when a bullet is just, just discharged from the gun, it comes forth with a destination mind. When you squeeze, I'm going to give you a little scenario here. When you have a gun, it's made up of a lot of components, a barrel and a stock and a chamber and all this stuff. But when you squeeze upon the trigger, what happens is as you're squeezing, the hammer comes back. And it will only come back so far. And once it's reached its farthest point, it will go forth with power. When it goes forth, it will strike a pin. It looks like a, almost like a nail in there. It's on a spring load in there. And when it strikes that pin, it will shoot that pin into the primer on that casing. And bang, that's how it works. The firing pin is like that nail. Here's what I felt the Lord say. The bullet has no power on its own. And when we think about righteousness, and I'm talking about the righteousness to do a work in man, it had no power in man. I'm not, I'm not diminishing righteousness. Righteousness is, is powerful. But it had no power in man apart from justification. There had to be justification first. God couldn't just be like a big Santa Claus passing out righteousness. Here's righteousness for you. Here's righteousness for you. Here's righteousness. Yes, he does that. He gives us righteousness. But there had to be justification first. And so there had to be something that set that righteousness in motion. And that is literally the firing pin. Justification is the firing pin unto righteousness. Do you get that picture in your mind? That's what it's like. The trigger is the motivation. In other words, we even use that expression, now, exactly what triggered you to do that? In other words, what motivated you to do that? I'm going to tell you what motivated God to, to, to justify us and release righteousness. It was his amazing love. That was the trigger that released that hammer. Righteousness. Awesome. His, his blood. His blood is sufficient. His blood is sufficient on that cross, on that blood-stained, blood-soaked, blood-saturated, blood-spattered cross. I'm going to tell you something. It was then 
It was at that moment, at that crux, at that moment when Jesus says, it is finished. You know, he was hammered to the cross. He was nailed to the cross. And he did that so that he could release righteousness. Amen. There's a direct relationship between justification and righteousness. Romans chapter 5, verse 17. For if by the trespass of one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace, haris, and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Romans 5, 16. Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. That's an amazing thing when you think about it. Who's this one man they're talking about? They're talking about Adam. That one sin. He said, he says, he said, it can't be compared with the result of one man's sin. He says, the judgment that followed one sin, it brought condemnation on everybody. But, you know, but we always used to say is the eraser. <laughs> Sometimes I like that word, but, because you can say all that, and when you get to the but, it just means, okay, I can just erase all this because it really doesn't matter at this point. Let me see what it says after but. <laughs> I love that conjunction. The gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. The gift of grace. See, I felt the Lord say, we, we've got to get this judgment mentality off of us, and we've got to get this justification mentality working on the inside of us. I don't let condemnation follow me. I let, I let goodness and mercy follow me. I do. I don't let condemnation follow me. It tries to once in a while. Like I said before, I just turn around and say, where are you supposed to be? You know, I let goodness and mercy overtake me and follow me all the days of my life. Romans chapter 5, verse 15. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to many? You know, here's what I, I did. When I looked up this word justification in the, in the Greek, you know what it says? Righteousness. It points to righteousness. <laughs> when I went over here and looked up righteousness, you know what it does? It says justification. I'm like, what? It's kind of like remind me of the little kid when they come to mom and she says, go see your dad. And he, he goes to dad and he says, go see your mom. You know, they're, they're always pointing at each other. Justification says, hey, go see righteousness. Righteousness says, hey, go see justification. That's because each of them are incomplete without the other. They work together. You follow that? They work together. It's like uh it's like Jesus. If you look at his ministry and you look at his words in the New Testament, he's always exalting daddy. He's always talking about how good his daddy is. But when you hear the daddy talking, he's always talking about how good his son is. Daddy's not exalting himself. Jesus is not exalting himself. They're exalting one another. That's what justification and righteousness do with one another. They totally work together. When you look at a glove, how long does it, does it take you to figure out that was made for a hand? It just doesn't take very long, does it? You look at a glove, nobody would look at a glove and go, I wonder what that's made for. You can tell it's made for the hand. It goes together. Justification and righteousness run together. You know, uh, this thought dropped in my heart this week. Justification is like the plow. Righteousness is like the crop. Justification is like the plow. It plows the ground. Now, can you imagine planting the crop before you plow it? That, that wouldn't make sense, would it? You'd be digging up your seed. It's got to be justification 
and then righteousness. That's how it works. And um, I thought about this. My wife touched on it a few weeks ago. Anybody ever worked on a word processor? You ever wrote a letter? Word processor? You know that on the left-hand margin, everything comes into the special alignment, perfect alignment. And then you can move it over and have everything start on the right-hand side. That's usually used for accounting purposes. Not, not, that'd look really weird if you wrote a letter with everything starting on the right margin. And then you can bring everything in the center and have it all centered on the page. But when you justify it, it's, called, it's literally called justified in word processing. That means it starts in the same spot on the left margin and it ends in the same spot, spot on the right margin. So it has this nice, clean look to it. That's called justified. I always, when I write letters, I always write them in justified format. It just looks clean. One thing I looked up one time a few months ago, I said, what, what is it when you don't justify that right margin? You know what it's literally called? It's called ragged text. Ragged. That's because one line will end here, the next line might end here, the next line might end here. It's, it's got this ragged look to it. Friends, listen, I've come by to tell you today that before justification took place, we were ragged. We had ragged lines, but God said, listen, what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring you into perfect alignment, and I'm going to align you with my son. My son is perfection. My son, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with him. You are going to be in perfect alignment with my son. That is justification. I don't know what, if they had that in mind when they did word processing or not, but that is justification. So where does this word justification come from? It comes from the word just. <laughs> you, do, you see, do you hear the root word there? Justification, justified, J-U-S-T, just. I looked in the New Testament. I wanted to see where is the, the law first mentioned working for this word just in the New Testament? Where would it come up for the first time in the New Testament? Matthew chapter 1, beginning at verse 18. Would it point to Jesus? Would it have anything to do with Jesus or Jesus' family? Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man. Did you hear that? Joseph, her husband, in other words, Jesus' stepdaddy. Joseph being a just man. You know, there's too many times that we say, I'm just a man. Uh, you know, Andrew Womack talks about the song, I'm Only Human, or something like that. I'm only human. No, you're not only human. You've got Christ's nature living on the inside of you. You are no longer just human. And we are no longer just a man. We are, according to these scriptures here, a just man. A just man. He says, then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to, to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 21. Do you see how it put just right in Jesus' own family? The man that would literally raise Jesus his stepdaddy. That's a powerful thought. What does Joseph's name mean? Joseph's name, remember this, means God will increase. 
we've got a boy named Joseph. It means God will increase. Increase what? That's just where it ends. It says God will increase. You know what? We get to fill in some blanks here because God wants to increase us in every dimension of our life, in our marriage, our finances, our health, our relationships. God is wanting to do a, our ministries. He's wanting to do a mighty, mighty work. God will increase. Remember that. First mentioned in the New Testament, Joseph. God will increase. I said, okay, Lord, where's the first mention in the Old Testament? Genesis chapter 6, beginning at verse 5. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man. It, literally, that word destroy means I'm going to erase him. <laughs> like that but. I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and the creeping thing, and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah, did you see him coming? <laughs> did anybody see him coming? But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah. These are the generations of Noah. Noah, a just man and perfect in, gener in his generations, and Noah walked with God. I, I want to say this while I'm thinking about it. If anybody ever asks you, are you perfect? Your, your response is yes. <laughs> in my spirit. Yes, I am perfect. Don't ever say I'm not perfect. Don't ever say that. Yes, I am perfect. I've had guys that have just totally blown them away and they're like, well, hey, listen, brother, man, nobody's perfect. You think you're perfect? Yes, I do. In my spirit. Unfortunately, I don't always live out of the spirit, but I am perfect in my spirit. My wife says, always, when you say perfect, don't say perfect. You say perfect. I am perfect in my spirit. So Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. The first mention in the New Testament for this word just, the first man they talk about is Joseph. What did his name mean? God will increase. <laughs> the first mention of a just man in the Old Testament is Noah. Noah's name means rest. So when you take out there and you reach out there and you grab Joseph's name and you, bring, and you grab Noah's name and pull them together, it literally means God will increase rest. That is the message of Jesus. His message has always been about, come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. How does a man find rest? I'm going to tell you how you find rest. You find it in what they said just before they called Noah a just man. It says, but Noah found grace. When you find this message of grace, you realize I'm not swinging at people anymore. And I'm not letting people swing at me anymore. God's not mad at me. There's nothing I can do to ever make him mad at me. God's not going to run off and leave me. If I get mad at God, he's not going to get mad at me. He's just used to those kind of things. People just do those kind of things. God increases rest through this message of grace. It, it extracts something out of us. This idea to live up and perform. Noah found grace. Grace found Joseph. <laughs> it's a difference. Noah found grace, but grace said, hey, I want to be born in your family. Noah found grace. Grace found Joseph. When I say grace, I'm talking about Jesus because that's who he is. He is grace. And, and I thought about this this morning. I said to my wife, I said, here's something really interesting. Noah was in the ark. And we know the ark is a picture of Christ. Noah was in the ark, but the ark was in Mary. See, that lines up with 
the scriptures I have already read, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. And Christ in us, the hope of glory. But I said to my wife this morning, I said, you know what? We've got something better. We're not just in the ark. And the ark is not just in us. We're one with the ark. We're one with the ark. That's a powerful thought. We're one with him. The Bible says that peace literally means to be set at one again. It means to be joined unto the Lord. And here's the beauty when Noah jumped in the ark and all the animals had followed their ways in and all his kids and their wives and stuff like that. The Bible says God closed the door. You would have thought, now it took Noah 100 years to build the ark. It took him 100 years to build that ark. You would have thought, man, a master designer and blueprint. You know, surely he, he must have, could have made a way to close the door. But the Bible says God closed the door on the ark and he opened the door on the ark. That way you don't have to worry about, am I going to be able to close certain doors? Am I going to be able to open certain doors? God will open the doors. God will close doors. And the beauty, because I'm one with the ark, I don't have to worry about getting Falling off the ark, you know, I'm, you know, I'm out on here just checking out the weather and stuff like that, on the high seas, you know, I'm talking about, Lauren, you were in the Navy, I'm on the high seas and man overboard, I don't have to worry about that, I'm not just on the ark and in the ark, or the ark in me, I am one with the ark, and she will last forever, amen. That's the difference, when I was thinking about this a couple of days ago, I thought, wait a minute, now, the Bible says Abraham was righteous, by faith. We're righteous by faith. What's the difference? What's the difference of Abraham's righteousness and my righteousness? The righteousness lives in me. I've been justified. Righteousness lives in me. In the Old Testament, righteousness lived on you. And the Bible says it was credited to him as righteousness. He didn't just become righteous. We have been made, declared righteous Abraham had righteousness on him. We have righteousness in us. Hallelujah. Amen. There's a relationship between justification and grace. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Three days ago, when I was sitting in my study, and I was just thinking about this word, just just meditating on just. I saw the picture so clearly. I want you to think it's a very, it's a four-letter word. It's a great four-letter word. J-U-S-T. And this is what I saw. The J represents Jesus. Everything begins with Jesus, friends. The J represents Jesus. And that T over here, that represents the cross. And there came a point in time where Jesus had to face the cross. He had to face the cross. But there was something between him and the cross. It was us. It was us. And he said, Father, Father, I know I've been through the Garden of Gethsemane. And Gethsemane literally means olive press. That's why when the Bible says he's, his sweat became like drops of blood, there's a medical phenomenon when you get under such a tremendous stress and pressure, the capillaries in your skin will burst and out of your pores will leak blood. That's what happened to Jesus. He was under this tremendous stress because he was being squeezed so hard. Kind of like that gun when you start squeezing on the trigger and it brings back the hammer and sends forth that nail into that 
into that primer to release that. It was the same thing with Jesus. He got squeezed the night before, and then the hammer and the nails the next day driven through his feet and through his wrist. And I will tell you something, he did that for you. He did that for us. He did that for us. It began with Jesus looking to the cross. And then in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, the Bible says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the Father. I want to tell you something about that awesome scripture. The Bible says it was the joy that was set before him. It was, the cross was not the joy. The cross was not it. The Bible says he endured the cross. He, he put up with the cross. The joy was us. That was what was set before him. He said, that's what I'm doing it for. I'm doing it for us. I'm doing it for them. It was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross, scorning his shame and sat down at the right hand of the Father. Justification, my friends. Justification was released when he said, Father, into your hands do I commit my spirit it was at that point that justification came upon the scene and it said, hey, anybody that would receive that son of God, I would declare unto him as a righteous being. Don't ever say I'm not righteous. Don't ever just say I'm just a man. You are a just man. It was Jesus and the cross and us in the middle. And you know what he was able to do? He was able to look beyond us for a moment. You know, sometimes we can't do that. People get in our way. You know, just when you think you got this message of grace really going good, you've been real sweet for a while, you find, you know what, it turns out I had a last nerve in my pocket and you just got on it right now. You know, I mean, it's just, it just seems like it works that way, doesn't it? But Jesus says, I'm looking beyond all my last nerves for a moment and I'm looking to the cross. I'll endure the cross because of the joy that's set before me. Because when I see all this sea of people, I count them as joy. My, 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 my. Justification, righteousness, grace. These are the treasures of the Lord. Jesus should be treasured. I want to tell you something. You want to fall in love with Jesus? Treasure him. Treasure him. Treasure him. Don't be religious about this. Treasure him. Fall in love with him. And I'll tell you what, you will release a goodness of God and a love of God all over the place. Treasure him. That comes through not only spending time with him, but walk, yes, walk in obedience with him. Don't be in sin up to your eyeballs because I'm going to tell you something. Your heart will grow cold. The good news is if that's happened, I'm going to tell you something. He will bring you back. He will never let you go. He will never let you go. He will always keep wooing you and calling you to the cross and to his blood. Amen. You can't make Jesus love you any more than he already does. The Bible says that God loves us. And because of justification and righteousness, the fight is over. He will never leave you or forsake you. And the Bible says, for she loved much. I felt the Lord say, tell him this story. Several years ago, my wife and I watched a movie called A Vow to Cherish. Maybe you've seen it, maybe you have not. It's worth watching. Yes, some of the doctrine's a little skewed, but just pick out what's good. Let me set the storyline for you. A husband and a wife, probably in their early 60s, a couple of upper teenage children, boy and a girl. The father is a very successful businessman. He owns his own marketing company. Very successful. His wife is a school teacher. 
very successful. She comes down with Alzheimer's. And it begins to devastate her. He begins his search for something that will calm this pain on the inside of him. And he walks into the chapel of a hospital. And there he meets a man who had lost his wife. And this man tells him about Jesus. This man takes him to a Billy Graham crusade. And it was at the Billy Graham crusade that he gave his heart to Jesus. And he was going to be, he was totally different. He wanted to maintain his health, so he decided to go out jogging. And while he was jogging, he happened to bump into a very young woman. Fresh, pretty, young, energetic. And they got in step with each other as they were running. And when they stopped to breathe for a little bit, he began to tell him her his story. She listened with compassion. And each time he would go out, they would just happen to bump into one another. And you could see almost a relationship developing. And when I watched it with my wife for the first time, from my chair, I'm screaming, No! Don't go running with her! Don't do it! Don't do it! I could see it coming. And so he continues to do this. And then, late one night, it's dark outside, he pulls up in front of that woman's house. The lights are on. He sits quietly in his car. I'm like, no, get out of the car, John. Don't do it. He gets out of the car, and he walks up, and he rings that doorbell. She seems surprised. There, John, a guy that she's really come to like. She invites him in. They sit down on the couch, and then the camera goes from inside the house to the outside of the house, and you're looking through the window now. You can't hear what they're saying. But at the end, she walks him to the door. You can tell he gave her a message that said, you and I won't be together. The next scene is he goes home. He walks up the stairs, and there he finds his, his Ellen propped up in bed with that blank stare on her face. He gets down on his knees. His teenage daughter walks out of her bedroom and stops by the door to listen. He reaches out and he takes his wife by the hand into his hand. And he says, I, John, take you, Ellen, to be my lawful wedded wife, to have and to hold, to cherish and to adore in sickness and in health until death do us part. And I thought about that yesterday. And I said, you know, that's what Jesus did for us. He went to his bride and he said, I, Jesus, take you, Steve, to be my lawful wedded wife. And the reason he could say that is because he purchased you. You became lawful. He didn't steal you from anybody. You became lawful. To have and to hold, to cherish and adore, to love and respect. But he didn't say until death do us part because there is no death in Christ. In fact, if we die, we get closer to him. 
We, come, we become that centerpiece on his table. We are close to him. We cannot be separated from him. That's what Jesus did for us. Do you know what set that in motion? I'm going to tell you what set it all in motion. It was justification, the firing pin of righteousness. Amen. Amen. Do you receive that word? I'm telling you, God is a good God. Father, we just thank you that uh, you're so brilliant. You're so wise. You're so good. There's nothing that you overlooked. There's nothing you missed. Father, your word declares you love us like you love Jesus. Oh, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. And when he sat down, he was making the statement, it is finished. It is finished. Father, we receive, we receive the knowledge that justification has ran its course. It's handed us off to righteousness. Righteousness brings out our identity that we are right with Christ, that we are our daddy's beloved. And because of this righteousness and this identity reigning and ruling in our lives, there's no condemnation. And because there's no condemnation, only the glory and only the grace of God will go forth. And many shall be one to Jesus. But not just one and baptized, but delivered and healed and made whole. Father, I just declare that is the message, not for just this hour, but that is an eternal message. We have been justified through faith and righteousness reigns in us. Thank you, Jesus. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You received that with grace today? Amen. That's with grace. Amen. I love you guys. Bless you today.